The corn is as high as an elephant's eye by the 4th of July. So goes, or maybe when, the saying. Sweet corn on the cob, either white or yellow or mixed, is a great summer treat. There are more ways than just corn on the cob to eat it, but nothing seems more summer than that. Let's get corny, talking about sweet corn and some of the many ways you can make great food with corn. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 91. Yo, welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy's free, but the food's on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Trek on over to my podcast's page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts, to find all the previous shows, show notes pages. From that podcast's page, you can also follow the Culinary Libertarian on various social media, as well as join the Eating Liberty Facebook group. Click the support hyperlink to find all the podcatchers carrying the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, as well as some affiliate banners. The Tom Woods Liberty Classroom and McClanahan Academy are both top-notch, on-the-go history content courses, each program about 30 minutes long. Liberty Classroom also covers more subjects, currently at over 24 courses. Click the Kiko's Cakes banner to get baking and pastry tutorial videos from an accomplished pastry chef. Make an amazing July 4th dessert for your Independence Day feast. And don't forget to order your coffee mug gifts from Cranky Without Coffee by clicking the banner on the podcast's page. The last way you can support the show is with a rating and review on your favorite podcatcher. And subscribe to the show as well. My mother used to tell the story of her early years of employment at General Motors in downtown Detroit. One year, the company hosted an employee picnic. Like any good summer picnic, the menu included corn on the cob. Even in the 1960s, GM had a worldwide reputation and therefore had international employees. One particular German woman scoffed at such a barbaric act as eating corn. That was for cattle, my mother related. Of course, this was told to me as we were going to dig into a big old plate of corn on the cob. Summer and corn on the cob are still a great combination. Boiled or grilled or steamed in their husks on the grill, I'll get to that in a bit, are great ways to enjoy this treat of summer. There's the corn you see, and the corn you don't see. The German lady at the picnic wasn't wrong. It's just that she wasn't right for that situation. Corn has a long history, 7,000 years or so. Corn is in the grass family, and it looked a lot more like a grass then than what we know today as corn. Corn, you may know, is also called maize. The history of corn is another show, But about 1,000 years ago, corn became a valuable culinary staple in central Mexico. 
Now, there are five kinds of corn, and we're going to worry about mostly one here. Sweet corn, of course, and dent, flint, popcorn, and more on that in a minute too, and waxy. What we buy and eat is corn on the cob, that's sweet corn. Our cornmeal, our grits, corn syrup, some plastics, and more are from either dent or flint corn. Dent is so named for the small indentation which appears on the top of the kernel when it is dried. As a food, corn is very popular, but it has some dietary issues. It is missing two amino acids, lysine and tryptophan. Niacin is abundant in the corn kernel, but is not available to humans due to an indigestible chemical bond withholding niacin to humans from during the digestion. As a food source, then, it is less than ideal. Better than nothing, but with corn consumption, pellagra wasn't far behind. Pellagra is a disease caused by a niacin deficiency. It was a big deal then. It's easy to treat now. And for you doctors in the group, I may have mispronounced that name. I'm sorry. An interesting observation about pellagra, again, mispronounced maybe, and niacin. Mesoamerican Indians had learned to soak corn in an alkali solution. Remember, alkali is part of the pH scale. Acids, vinegar, lemon juice is low on the pH scale. Alkalis are high, above 7. And the higher, closer to 14 you get, the more alkaline that substance becomes, or the solution. Soaking corn overnight or boiled briefly in this alkaline solution unbinds the niacin, making it available for humans through digestion. From there, the corn is rinsed, the husk is removed or the hull is removed, the corn is dried, then ground into masa for the various uses of tortillas or breads or what we now call grits. Properly made, grits is the ground corn kernel which was soaked in an alkaline solution. Alkaline solutions, it turns out, are easy to make since water and wood ash make an alkaline solution. Anyone with a fire pit was able to make lye, also called sodium hydroxide, by boiling that wood ash in water. Lye is also a key ingredient for soap. Since the corn is soaked in that harsh alkaline solution and the hull removed, grits is white, polenta is yellow. Once in a while, on rare occasions, a corn cob will become, well, deformed. A large, quite peculiar gray growth will form on one cob, actually in each kernel of that cob, or some kernels of that cob. I'll identify this after we take a moment for a word from my affiliate. What's the difference between grocery store spices and spices from savory spice? Turnover and care. Savory spice takes care of their products because that's all they have to do. They sell you the best spices and the quantities you want for the best food you can make. Savory Spice also sells spice blends, which I've mentioned, bottled sauces, their spice and easy mixes, which are flavor packets to create a themed flavor for the dish in your own kitchen. 
Masaman curry or tikka masala or Cajun bayou stew are just three examples. And Savory Spice lets you choose your dietary specifics from no salt or no gluten, vegan or vegetarian, and more. At Savory Spice, they specialize in fresh, flavorful spices, simple meal solutions, gift sets, and other tasty products to help you live life full of meaningful moments, delightful experiences, and of course, flavorful food. Join the Savory Spice Loyalty Club and earn $10 back on your $100 purchase. Get a free birthday gift and special surprises for members only. Check the website to find the Savory Spice Shop near you, which will offer convenient curbside pickup for your order. Click the banner on the show notes page or type culinarylibertarian.com slash savoryspice into your browser to shop for cinnamon and cloves and cardamom for your July 4th apple pie seasoning and poppy seeds for your coleslaw. Visit culinarylibertarian.com slash savoryspice to join the loyalty club and make flavor memories. Savory Spice has over 550 products and almost 1,500 restaurants use those products. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash Savory Spice. Now let's get back into the show. Coche, which is a better sounding name than another, corn smut, is a rare fungal growth on corn kernels. Even on a stalk, only one cob may have Coche. In the years we grow corn, only once did I see it. I didn't know then what it was, and I didn't want to touch it. It, it looks strange. Huitlacoche is a delicacy, and as published on the foodrepublic.com website article, what is Huitlacoche and how do you cook it? Quote, Huitlacoche has been an important food for indigenous peoples of the Southwest for centuries, so much so that the fungus has ceremonial, culinary, and medicinal uses. As far as the healthfulness aspect is concerned, Huilacoche offers more protein than regular corn and has high amounts of lysine, an essential amino acid not found in normal kernels, end quote. Despite the elegance Huilacoche brings, it is decidedly peculiar in appearance. If you grow corn and find this, spongy is better than firm. According to those who know more than I do about this, the firm Huilacoche is bitter. A DuckDuckGo.com search should produce some good recipes for exactly what to do and how to do it. Now, corn dishes worth noting. One of the amazing features of American food is there are so many regions of the country. Each ingredient is almost a new thing in different areas. Or at least new named in different areas. The grits of the South to corn chowder from well, most everywhere, to the Midwest corn au gratin, a New Orleans mock shoe, and suffering succotash. Yes, succotash actually is a dish, and it's pretty good. I suspect what is the case is in any particular place an ingredient exists, 
various uses simultaneously appear. The regions are there, and they do exist, and Chow Chow is different from Tennessee to the Mid-Atlantic area of the Amish and then Pennsylvania Dutch, or for our up-north neighbors, there's even a Canadian version. Relevant to this episode, the corn on the cob seems to be much enjoyed everywhere I've been, South, Mid-Atlantic, Midwest, and Pacific Northwest. There are a few varieties in stores, and I don't know how to tell one from the other. What I can see, and what you can see, is the corn is either yellow or white or variegated. In my eating, I found no real distinction between them, one being better than the other, as long as they're eaten quickly from purchase, they're all pretty much really good. Sweet corn itself is a variation of field corn with mutations allowing for more sugar, twice as much as field corn. According to the page posted by the Yuma, Arizona County Cooperative Extension Agency, sweet corn, quote, was grown by several Native American tribes. The Iroquois gave the first recorded sweet corn called papoon to European settlers in 1779. It soon became a popular vegetable in the south and central regions of the United States, end quote. I'll put a link to this report on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 91. In the sweet corn realm, farmers and botanists, or somebody, has developed a strand named Supersweet. I didn't find out if the Supersweet is a hybrid or a GMO. GMO is a big and good topic, just not for right now. Regardless which variety you purchase, all sweet corn has the enemy of time. Supersweet was designed to be shelf-stable for up to two weeks. That means for those two weeks, the sugar will not convert to starch. The question no one can answer at the grocery store is, when was that corn picked and where did it come from? And forget about skipping the produce clerk knowing what variety it is. The best advice for buying corn from the grocery store is eat it that night or at least the next night, not later. Now comes the part where I explain why corn on the cob sometimes tastes tough. But before I do that, Let's take a word from my friend Nikki P and his wife Liz. Hey, it means the world to Liz and I that you spend the time listening to us. And I'd hate to lose you to another podcast. But I simply have to tell you about my buddy Sean's podcast, The Porcupine Perspective. If you like your liberty raw and unfiltered with just a hint of deep melancholic brooding, then The Porcupine Perspective is the podcast for you. They ponder big themes and real questions. This is hands down one of my favorite podcasts. So go subscribe to The Porcupine Perspective so it can be your second favorite. Sweet corn husks or hulls, the husks is the green part, sweet corn hulls become tough when boiled in salted water. Now, as a culinary teacher, I implored all of my students to make sure they understand always, always, always salt the water for whatever you're going to cook, with the single exception of corn. Do not salt the water. Several websites suggest adding sugar to the water which I did last night, and 
I didn't do a control. I didn't cook one by itself in regular water to compare, but all four of us agreed that that was really, it was really good corn. So what it wasn't was tough. So the sugar may have contributed somewhat to the tenderness of the corn hull. Well-cooked, very fresh corn and unsalted water has always been just fine, but I might try this sugar thing again. I've read recipes which read to boil the corn in all milk, which is a mess waiting to happen. The milk will boil over, and that's a mess, and now you have to clean up the mess, and, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and unsalted boiling water is just fine. Salting afterward, of course, makes sense. The question of which salt, though, is an issue. Of course, I'll steer you away from those commercial, free-flowing, all-white, sterilized salts. For corn on the cob, we want a good sea salt. But fine grain, of course. Well, that's up to you. But I do prefer uh, the extra crunchiness of a large sea salt flake. So that means you have to have a lot of butter to hold on to that salt. But, you know. Salt and butter corn, what more do you want? And popcorn. Popcorn has been a thing for about 4,000 years. Popcorn, it is suggested, was also on the menu of the, well, the article read first Thanksgiving. What they really meant was the second Thanksgiving. Popcorn kernels have moisture. That seems a bit surprising when you look at them. What seems to be the case is the water in the kernel, when heated, gelatinizes the starch that's inside there, which turns it from that hard starch to kind of soft and squishy, kind of. The hull, two of them really, can only hold so much pressure. When the soft and squishy starch needs to stretch its legs, pop! Now, if the popcorn vessel doesn't have sufficient vents for the steam to escape, the popped corn absorbs that little bit of moisture, and that makes the popcorn, popped corn, tough. We have one of those twisty handle thingamajigs, that's a technical term, with vents on the top for the steam to escape. Now, if you are a popcorn connoisseur, I recommend this. I think it's called a whirly pop. And if you like kettle-style popcorn, such a thing is possible in this device. <laughs> Very cool. Now, on to corn ideas. My grandma used to freeze fresh corn. She would boil uh, just a heap of corn cobs, let them cool enough to handle them, and then slice the corn off the cob, sort of standing it up on the stem end and just cut down into a bowl, just, you know, just shaving it down and bag it up, put it in the freezer. And my grandpa sat with this big old grin on his face, nibbling the rest of those corn cobs, corn bones, he used to call them, a big plate frequently refreshed of corn bones and his transistor radio next to him playing Detroit Tigers baseball. I can still see that small book-style radio and hear Ernie Harwell call the games. Those corn bones have more uses than feeding Gramps. First, the good stuff my grandma left was the key to superior cream corn. Of course, for cream corn, 
the corn is cut off the cob raw, and then the cob is scraped to get all that creamy, starchy, sugary goodness. As cream corn goes, the canned stuff is mostly good only for Charlie bread, which is the recipe on the blog. To see what cream corn can be, make Alton Brown's version. I've tweaked it a bit for myself, but as it is, it is excellent. He calls it Better and Granny's Cream Corn, and I'll put a link to that on the show notes page. Cream corn, proper cream corn, is wonderful. Corn fritters or mock choux, which is a Cajun dish with corn and peppers and tomatoes and onions. The process is similar to Alton's cream corn, not as creamy, but very, very good. It is an excellent accompaniment for crab cakes. I'll link to the blog post for that recipe also on the show notes page. Those corn bones I mentioned, they're not trash. They usually are, but a nice corn stock can be made from them, and with that, a corn chowder. Now, as it happens, as of this recording, behind me on my stove, corn bone broth is waiting for me to strain it, and it's going to become something yummy. Now, if you are ambitious, those corn bones can be smoked first. Yes, smoked corn cobs. Then, instead of making a stock, steep them in some heavy cream and make a smoked corn chowder. Oh, man. Now, this is a fairly in-depth recipe, starting with smoking corn cobs and then steeping them into the cream. Make sure the cream doesn't boil over the stove. Then making your chowder base and adding the cream to that. It's, a, it's worth doing. It's fantastic. It's a great, great soup. And a garnish of a corn fritter is really quite nice. I mentioned grilled in the husk corn. That's easy. We soaked the corn in water in a cooler, because that's the biggest thing we had, for at least four hours. Pull off the silk, but leave the cob and the husk intact. Start your fire and remove the corn from the water. When the fire is ready, place the whole corn, you know, husk and everything, on the grate over the coals. So really, it is steamed corn, but the smoke does permeate a little bit to give a really nice kind of smoky, it's not grilled looking, but it has that nice smoked campfire flavor. For grilled corn, shuck the corn and oil the whole cob. Salt and pepper it and place it on the grill. Grill them to your preference of color, then remove them to a bowl or a pan large enough to hold them and cover with plastic wrap for about 15 minutes. Now, in part, this is to wait for the corn to be cool enough to handle, but it's also the heat that's in the corn stays there long enough to sort of steam the corn to completely done or done her. Slice the kernels off into a bowl like you would for corn bones and then saute or eat that with salt and butter. Yeah, probably the first way. Saute the corn with some roasted red bell peppers and some fresh thyme, a little bit of red onion, uh, a drop of superior balsamic vinegar, and you have turned these corn kernels into something that is quite nice. This iconic summer treat can be frozen, just like Grandma did. Back in Central Lake, following Grandma's example, we put bags and bags of corn and beans and tomatoes in the freezer. We saved a ton on grocery bills, 
and our vegetables through the winter were far superior to what we could have purchased at the store. Corn plays well with lots of friends. Onions and peppers and tomatoes and spice and coriander. Don't forget the coriander as the spice or cilantro as the herb. A cilantro and corn and tomato salsa is a great thing for chips or as a garnish for a grilled pork chop. So there are scores of ways to enjoy sweet corn. And really the limit is what your flavor preferences are and what you want to do with it. Starting and stopping with excellent corn on the cob, <laughs> that's, I mean, they really can't improve on that. But um, there's more to do after that if you are so inclined. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I will have the links to the items mentioned on the show notes page. Uh, some of the recipes not linked are on the blog, so just hit the search bar and type in corn and you should find what you're looking for. This is the seen side of corn. Next week, I'm going to talk about the unseen side. Big ag and subsidies and Monsanto and politics. There's a whole side of corn we almost never really see and only hear about every four years. Subscribe to the show and Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian Podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.